See, the biggest mistake that people make is that they think they can do it on their own. I thought I could do it on my own. In fact, I didn't even necessarily know to go and look for help. But the fact is like, oh, I can figure it out. I'm going to drive through it. I'm smart. Blah, blah, blah. That's it's one. It's the reason why people are successful, but it's also the double-edged sword of why people don't sell their company and become a statistic or you know, even fail at the beginning. Don't sell their company or don't sell for what they think it's worth. Welcome to the Cashing Out Podcast, where our fellow founders share real stories and offer honest advice around selling their companies to some of the top acquirers in the world. My name is Todd Sullivan, CEO of ExitWise, where we help business owners create the exits they deserve. Today, my guest is Chris Wise, an international entrepreneurial nomad who has built and sold two companies while traveling around the world and now helps his fellow founders build their businesses remotely. Chris's lessons are many, but one in particular where he graciously shares how one of his businesses got him removed from an international flight, interrogated by the Secret Service, and put him behind bars in federal prison for 19 months really is a first for us at ExitWise. In today's discussion, you'll hear how Chris coaches founders on how to remove themselves from their businesses to create transferable value and how he professes taking care of yourself to create productivity and prevent burnout. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris Wise. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to chat with you. I feel a bit of a kinship in what you're doing today, but what's really exciting is kind of your past building multiple companies, having multiple exits, and then transforming that right into helping founders in a category where, frankly, I don't think we do a great job, that kind of under 10 million, I think you say even 1 million to 10 million, 1 million to 20 million, those business owners really need help of like, what can I do to improve my business where I'm making more money, but also setting myself up for the exits they deserve. So I definitely want to get into that, but you've got some amazing stories of entrepreneurship that I would really want to hear about and appreciate you willing to, to share. And frankly, Mark Cuban had this spot today on our podcast, and I bumped him when I knew you were available. So, so thank <laughs> you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> so I'm um, glad to be here. I think the best place to start, right, is you decided to become an entrepreneur at some point. Maybe you could talk to us about that moment and, and your first journey. Yeah, I think I was born an entrepreneur. I mean, I started my first business at 12, sharpening chainsaw chains. And kind of a dangerous job for a kid, but my dad taught me how to do it. And fortunately, I still have all my fingers and toes here, but I did it very well. And pretty soon I was making, you know, 25 bucks an hour as a 12, 13 year old. And from there, I was able to buy my uh, first computer at, at 14. I was able to buy my first car at 16. And then, you know, then from there, I had a kind of an entrepreneurial jump. That's great. So what, what is the, let's talk about the first business that you built and actually sold. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, getting there, there was actually an, an up and down. So I, I had started a company when I was 16 out of my parents' basement building computers. And I built that up till I was 21 and actually had made it on my own house was made it as a millionaire, but then the market changed and lost everything. Oh. And, and so I have had, I had no, you know, formal business training education. In fact, I dropped out of college to run this company because it was going so well. And I even had a full scholarship. And, and then when the market changed and you could buy computer parts online cheaper than I could get them, you know, it just all collapsed. And mm -hmm. then that's when I shifted into 
technology service and, and providing IT infrastructure. And that's the company that I ended up ended up selling. And so we niched into the mortgage industry and we ended up doing business technology integration. So we would, we would optimize a mortgage company's business processes using mortgage-specific software. And then we provided the underlying IT infrastructure, the computers, the net, and all of that infrastructure. And the I ended up, you know, this was my first exit. It wasn't graceful. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just like, I ended up hating the business I was mm. in. And I just got so sick and tired of doing it. I was like, I just got to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, but you know, I, I still successfully exited, had a little money that came from it, but you know, that was one of my learning. This was, so this is like in my mid twenties. And yeah. so it's still, you know, provided a re, you know, really big learning block moving ahead. I appreciate you sharing kind of the ups and downs, right? Like every entrepreneur is familiar with that. So you're in the, the mortgage industry and you're just kind of doing the blocking and tackling, building that business. And then a moment hits you just, I can't do this anymore. What did you do to find a buyer, right? It sounds like you did well, this, this exit on your it, own. It wasn't a moment. Yes. It wasn't a moment that is just like, I'm tired. It was like years. Okay. <laughs> like, it was probably two years where I'm just like, man, this is wearing me out. And then I was bringing other people in. And then finally I was just like, I need to. So I found another a competitor basically. Perfect. And yep. I said, look, I've built this business. I have all these things. And, and so then we, you know, we worked out a deal. And you did it on your own, right? It was it was clearly like the right time for you to do it. But looking yeah. back, would you have done that any differently? Talked to multiple buyers, got representation, like, or do you you like, nope, I'm just it worked out, and I'm moving ahead. It, it, you know, looking back, if I would have done things differently, I would have built my business differently, okay, which would have led to a different outcome. And then, you know, yes, absolutely, I would have done things differently if I knew then, you know, what I know now. That's what I'm excited to get into a little bit later is, you know, what you know now and how we can share that yeah. with our fellow founders and business owners. But here's yeah. one thing I wanted to share just in general that yeah. I just learned over the last year that I wish I knew sooner okay. that people in business, entrepreneurs, we don't talk about the failures that mm -hmm. much or the stats of failure. And I recently finally put all the stats together and I realized that it's only one in 700 companies that actually sell for what the owner expected or desired. Yeah. And here's how we get there. 90% of companies fail within the first five years. Mm -hmm. And then 85% of businesses that want to sell don't sell. And then 90% of businesses that sell don't sell for what the owner expected or desired. Yep. Now, there's a lot to unpack there and why yep. that happens and what we can do and what I learned from my experience to, to do and what I do now to help prevent that. Yep. But I think it's just shocking that I think anybody who wants to ground themselves into reality and get out of it. See, the biggest mistake that people make is that they think they can do it on their own. Mm. I thought I could do it on my own. In fact, I didn't even necessarily know to go and look for help. But the fact is like, oh, I can figure it out. I'm going to drive through it. I'm smart. Blah, blah, blah. That's it's one. It's the reason why people are successful, but it's also the double-edged sword of why people don't sell their company and become a statistic or, you know, even fail at the beginning, don't sell their company or don't sell for what they think it's worth. I love that you just explained that. I felt very, very much the same way. The odds are absolutely against the business owner, the the founder of a business. And when I looked at my entrepreneurial journeys, 
I found that the biggest black box was in M&A. And when I started looking at that, what I noticed is in the lower middle market, so selling businesses for 20 million to 500 million, the failure rate, and we're being generous right now, the failure rate of businesses trying to sell is 70%. So think about the cost, right? Yes, you're putting 25, 50 grand down in some retainer to an investment bank, but what are you really losing? You're losing six months of your time where you weren't growing your business. And there are a variety of reasons of why that happens. We have absolutely put a stake in the ground that it has to do with industry expertise, real knowledge of what buyers are looking for. And each buyer has a specific interest. And so if you can align the right seller and the right buyer, you can create great outcomes. The second piece where you're saying that they're not getting what they thought they would get, I think there's actually two components. One is value, right? And certainly we see that the expectations are potentially too high, but what the bankers are promising are not being delivered at the end. Um, And we are incredibly proud to to be helping these these founders. We're selling well over 30%, 31% as of like last month. And the next two exits that we have, one is 300% higher than what we agreed on at the beginning. And we just know that there is a better process to do this and we're trying to share it. I really appreciate you saying that. It's like, it is, it is our mantra. You had a a bunch in there that I was agreeing with, but I'm, I'm hitting on those two things. Can we talk about the next exit, right? This one's exciting. You've gone in, you've built a business and you're, you know, you're running the traps and you, you come to the exit and then you, you also get, you know, a slap in the face here. And I love to hear about it. Yeah. So this, this is for fast forward 10 years. And then, you know, over that time had done a bunch of things, actually had some other companies that failed. And then I got into small business financing where we help, we were helping companies get loans for their business. And we were focused typically around the 200, you know, hundred to $250,000 range. So relatively small, small amounts. And I had a whole international business. I was traveling internationally, which I can mm-hmm. get to how I got there as part of this. But we're working with U.S. businesses to help them get funding. I had a whole team. By this point, you know, I have you know, fifteen or so years had up leveled my education, and so I knew how to build a business that could run without me. Mm-hmm. And and I and I was building it in that way. Which, by the way, if you want to talk about a an essential element to the valuation of your business and the success of the transfer of the asset. It's that the owner is not involved in the day-to-day operations. And that's one of the hardest. In fact, I don't want to take us off track, but I want to come back to that. We'll put a pin in that. We can come back to it at the end and I can elaborate. So I'll stick on my story now. Sure. So, you know, I built this business and see in 2010, I had learned about, I read the four hour work week and I was like, man, I want to, travel the world and I want to work remotely because I had always worked from home. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I started traveling and I said, all right, Hey, you know, where in the world are the most beautiful women? And I was like, Columbia, boom, I'm going to Columbia. I'm going to look for a woman to travel the world with me. And all the while, while I'm traveling and, and just starting to live around the world, I'm running this business, running it and growing it, working every day to get myself out of the business. And so here come, we're now we're in August of 2012 mm-hmm. and I had met somebody, uh, she was traveling with me and, you know, at the time I was running three companies. So I had this one company, uh, you know, the small business financing, and I had two consulting firms as well. And we're, we're flying into, I have a six month world tour planned out, you know, we're going to go to LA, 
then we're going to go to Las Vegas and live for a month. And then we're going to go back to Columbia. I had this whole, whole tour planned out. And uh, we're, we're landing and the plane is taxing. And all of a sudden the plane stops. We're not even at the gate. Mm-hmm. And over the loudspeaker, they say, uh, welcome to Los Angeles. Um, we're going we're gonna to be stopped here momentarily. Customs needs to come on board. And the next thing I look up, this big black guy's walking down the aisle and he goes, Christopher Wise, you're under arrest. And oh, wow. they handcuff me, walk me off the plane, and I and, and everybody's looking at me like I'm a terrorist. Yeah, yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, what the fuck do they think I, I what what could I have done? Why is this happening? And and I'm like, are you sure you guys have the right Christopher Wise? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we have it. Yes, this is you. We got you. Uh, and I'm like, and then they hand me off to the Secret Service. And then I'm like, oh my, the Secret Service. Like, I swear I support Obamacare. Like, what's going on? Well, finally, I get processed through, you know, Secret Service. And, and, and they're like, you're being charged with conspiracy for bank fraud. And I'm oh, wow. like, Oh my God. So then I remember four years before I had hired a company to help me get a loan because mm-hmm. uh, these guys were doing larger loans. And they, as I was going through the process, and I also was referring people to them because we mm-hmm. were doing these smaller loans. So I was referring people to them. And uh, so I was, it was for this. And the short answer, I ended up spending 19 months in federal prison for this. But the, the essence of it was I, I realized they were doing shady things. And I thought, man, there's no way I can get in trouble. They're doing, they're doing the mm-hmm. shady shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use the loan for legal purposes. I'm going to pay it back. And that was my mistake. That was my mistake. And because I was this national figure speaking around the country on small business loans and referring people to them, the government, they had it out for me. And they wanted to get me. And, and, you know, They wanted to charge me with something. Sure. And, and so- the mistake I made was I didn't realize that was illegal, yep. right? I benefited from the crime of another. Mm-hmm. And, and so if there's, if there's, a, there's one business lesson here is that if you realize that you're doing somebody, working with somebody who's doing something shady yep. and you're somehow benefiting from it, even if there's sometimes there's an awareness of it, there might be some liability. Yep. Like my pro just run, turn the other way, find out your exposure from whatever happened, cover your ass. Uh, and that was the mistake I did. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to, you know, it's okay. I'm not doing it. I'm going to benefit from it. So there was this like sneakiness. I was felt like I had, I didn't know it was illegal. And I ended up spending 19 months in in prison from it, even though I, you know, got the loan, paid it back, all that stuff didn't matter. And, And so that was a very difficult business lesson to learn. That is a tough business lesson. That is expensive. So 19 months you're in there thinking about what you're going to do when you get out, what's going through your mind. Like you're going to well, go back to entrepreneurship, how are things going to change? I, well, I wasn't able, so this is where I sold my business, right? So the reason, okay. the reason my second exit was I couldn't run my business from prison. Sure. Fortunately, you know, I had built it up so that I had a transferable asset mm-hmm. and I had somebody in my company. I said, you're going to be the CEO and you guys are going to run it. So I was able to sell my business to my employees, okay. and, which, it, which gave me some, ca- actually, when I got out of prison, I had some cash and I was able yep. to, you know, get back into things moving, you know, relatively easily. But in prison, you know, honestly, I took the time not to figure out what I was going to do next, but I really took the time to go deep within. Mm-hmm. And I meditated two to four hours a day, 
there was a practice where I learned to really connect with my, I had actually learned this before prison to really connect with my inner child and love and embrace all parts of myself. And I had some huge, massive internal spiritual realizations, transformations that coming out of prison now has greatly impacted how I help companies grow and scale mm-hmm. and exit and, and do all of that. Because I, I think one of the biggest tragedies, and I guess this is another key principle about, I, I would say just to, advice to an entrepreneur who's growing a business, whether you're exiting or not. So many people do it from a place of unhealth, from a place of killing themselves in the process or just, or not supporting or taking care of the other important relationships in their life. And, and that's just a self-destructive or a, a way to create success. And it doesn't have to be done that way. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you push yourself so hard, it not only does it could you know mess you up, you burn out or lose you know relationships or whatever, you're actually less effective. And so there is a, an ideal focal point or an ideal stream of the flow, right? If you're if you're in getting to burnout, you're not flowing, right? Flow is that ideal state. And so a lot of that comes around self-care. And so now when I'm helping people grow, exit, whatever I'm helping them do, it's like, let's get into that flow state. Let's get into that ideal space of self-care. Part of that could be with meditation. But it's like, if, if you're approaching burnout, you're not doing it the right way. Now, look, there are some times where you got to run the sprint, right? Where you might burn yep. out temporarily, but yep. not as the way to do the whole thing. And that's another huge lesson that has come from all of this. So th- there's a lot to unpack. Can I back up to the actual sale of the second business? Did you s- actually sell, c- create the transaction while in prison? Yes. With awesome. an attorney, with an attorney, <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> it can't yep. be done. And was the structure an ESOP in selling it to your employees? Or, or was no, it, it was no. a basic, it was basically just an asset, an asset, asset purchase, sale. but it created a cash flow situation for you when you got out. Right. So there was a little bit I of had, a, why, well, actually while I was in prison, I had cash flow and there was a lump of cash that I got from that. So there was two different scenarios. I was getting monthly and then I got a, a lump of cash. You know, it's, it's just such a perfect example to like your point at the beginning that, that building a business, you have to be able to separate yourself. That business has to be able to run without without the CEO, without the owner. And you had learned, right, that over time and set up the, the business in order to, for somebody else to step in, right? Because we're all not yes. going to be running our businesses someday. And if they're going to be transferable, they better be functional with another management team without yourself. Amazing story. Thanks. Thank you for sharing it. So, okay, so you get out, right? You've got kind of this new uh, vision or a view of the world and yourself. And so what, what's next? You're turning that into yeah. helping others? Well, so my genius super skill is organization. And okay. because I've been in business now for 30 years and I've had so many distinctions in education, I've worked with hundreds of different CEOs. And, you know, because while I had my own business, I'm always doing some sort of consulting mm-hmm. on the side. And I just love it. In fact, I, I think, I, you know, at one point when I was deciding, well, hey, should I? you know, start my own company or should I continue to do more consulting? Where should I focus? I was like, I actually think I'm better at the architecture and the organization Mm. of helping others than I am at building and growing my own business. And part of that just comes from, well, one of all the experience of owning my own businesses, but just the way that I can step back and see all the different moving parts. And part of the biggest value that I bring and that my company brings is that we're not in the day-to-day. And when you're in the day-to-day 
it's hard to see the bigger picture Mm -hmm. because you're so in the weeds. And so you need somebody outside of yourself, outside of your company that can look in and see what's going on and give you that advice and give you that advice. It's hence the the value that you bring to these, on these podcasts, but also why somebody who wants to grow a business or wants to Mm -hmm. exit a business needs somebody to guide and help them, not just from an experiential standpoint, which is obviously valuable, but just from I'm not in the weeds and I can see things clearly and give you advice where I'm not attached to the energy and and the stickiness of the business. You got to have somebody that's outside of the the company to really, if you, if you want to succeed and not be a statistic, because here's the bottom line. If generally speaking, this is what I tell people when I'm working with, if you don't get help, you most likely will fail. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't if you don't hire you can you don't have to hire me yep. but if you don't have help you you most likely will fail and most people people need to hear that because yep. that's actually what most likely will happen. Yeah, I love it. I, we're, we're the same, right? We say you don't have to hire us. Just please, please get help and get very industry specific help when you're thinking about exiting a business. But you know, back to your point of having somebody come in and really look at your business to give you the roadmap of where you really need to go. You know, we built this valuation calculator. And when I use it for clients, it is so revealing. It isn't just your business is worth X, it's Y. What are the things that are really helping? What are the things that are really hurting? And therefore, the things that you can work on to improve valuation. And what I love about our relationship here is you are like the next step. It's one thing to kind of take a snapshot in time and have some suggestions, but going way deeper, organizationally, value drivers. I I know you have long lists of what you can do for companies. And just the realization of being able to see where I can improve. And then here is a game plan of how to improve. It's eye opening. If founders do not do this, they are leaving so much on the table and going to become a statistic, just like you said. So I cannot agree with you more. And we Mm. personally have to all step aside, right? We're, we, we are great at certain things. We wear tons of hats, but getting outside help is usually not one of the things that's top on our list, right? Of things that we're good at and we have to be. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So you got two exits under your belt. Second one's just amazing that you actually sold the business from prison. I love that. (laughs) It needs to be like the title. And now you've said, all right, I I've figured out my superpower and I'm delivering that. And you're delivering it from all over the world, right? You've kind of stepped into this kind of entrepreneurial nomad life. Can you tell us a little bit about building that business and lifestyle? I just, yeah. So I, you know, this started in 2010 when I read that book for our work week and then I started traveling, you know, prison happened and then, but yeah, I'm back at it again. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's possible. If you can do, if you can deliver your services in front of a computer, then you can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so you could build a company this way. Now, there's certain businesses where you got to have you know physical infrastructure, but I love as a consultant, I can do it. And I actually have an international team. I got people all over the world and we serve, as we serve our U.S. clients. We do it all through Zoom. And yeah, it's just, you know, so right now I'm in Colombia. And so typically I'll spend one to three months in a city. I'll be six months here in Colombia. And then after this, I'll go to, to Brazil. And so it's just a 
it's an amazing lifestyle along with an amazing work stuff that I'm doing. Yeah, so cool that you can be anywhere, but that you've built a network of people that can help. And I, and as I, I sense, right, there's a industry expertise, right? So if you're helping clients that are in yes. SaaS or aerospace or whatever, you you can lean on the right talent because yeah, those let new, me comment nuances. on that. Yeah, please. That is that is something that took some time to actually build. So one, oh, yeah. just my own self, I've had quite a bit of experience in in just about every industry, but more my personal experience is more in tech and SaaS and e-commerce and. Uh, actually manufacturing is where a lot of my experience has been, but I have a whole team. And so that brings a lot of experience, but there, you know, there's times when I'm looking at a company and I'm diagnosing where, what expertise is needed to solve which problems. And I spot it that, Hey, well, hey first I look at my team. If we don't have it, then I, I have somebody on my team that can specifically go out and find people very quickly so that we can bring them in. So one mm-hmm. of the big values that I bring to companies that we're helping grow and get ready to exit is they can get all of those resources from one place. Yeah. And because I'm architecting it and I can spot when there's a gap or piece missing and I can say, ah, that's what we need to bring in here. That's what we need to bring in here. This person's going to be temporary. This person's going to need to be part-time. I can map all of that out because that's my genius skill. Yeah. And then we just bring in the right talent to fill those gaps. So that, because one of the biggest time wasters for people trying to get somewhere who actually, you know, who are, who know they need help is finding the right people and actually not only finding the right people, identifying what's the help they need. Mm-hmm. And since that's a skill set, it's so much saves the client so much time and trying to, you know, one, identify what exactly they need. And then two, trying to find them. We're, we're so similar, even though we're, we're really focused on the exit. Like my last call I'm on with an entrepreneur who has an amazing business. And he wants to buy a public company. So we are helping with that. And we're at a stage where it is an M and a attorney that we need specifically right now. And we have a roster of them and we have a roster of those who have worked in divesting pieces of public companies, whole public companies. So it is really identifying what do you actually need? And then who is really good? We build you know, M&A teams. And we think we build world-class M&A teams. Um, but you're exactly right. Like as a founder that we're not doing that on a daily basis. So where do you go to get kind of all of those resources? And that's awesome. When you're growing a business, those are different skill sets. And I, and I know, we, we know, we spent years amassing this kind of database and building relationships with all of those, those experts, just like you are. I know there's going to be some like really good ways um, to be working together. Chris, you know, is there anything else, right? You're building this business, you're enjoying life, but you know, we're trying to like teach our fellow founders, business owners really about M&A. Is there anything else that you want to share advice that you've learned along the way or you impart today in your business? Yeah. So I would say in general, if there was kind of like a route to focus on, it's how do you, for an owner to think about, Mm -hmm. because it will trigger everything else. How do you get yourself out of the day to day? Because if you think about and you and that becomes a priority, it's going to create all these other things that have to be created inside of your business. Now, in general, all these other things aren't sexy. You know, a, a functional accountability map. Uh, you, even sometimes people don't even have an org chart. Yep. <laughs> like you, that was just trying to exit job descriptions. Uh, a business model canvas, process mapping all their business, creating your your profit. Like, how do you actually create profit? What are your profit levers, mm-hmm. and how does that create profit? How do you drive revenue, and what are your revenue levers? Like having all those mapped out. So there's several reasons why you want to do this. Mm-hmm. The first is so if somebody else in your company 
well, once you could replace yourself mm-hmm. if you're we're seeing those two. If somebody else in your company leaves, somebody else could come in and very quickly understand what's going on. And then three, it's creating transferable value because now it's your business is so clearly explained. And then when it gets trans, somebody else can be like, boom, I understand yep. exactly how this works. Yep. And it's all those things that increase the value. But a lot of times business owners get so blinded and they're like, it's just about driving revenue. And, and probably like just focus on that without all the documentation and infrastructure that's needed. Yep. And, and so it's all of that stuff actually enables the owner to get out of the business because you got to have frameworks that other people can understand and then take ownership of responsibility. So if I would say there's a core focus yep. on how do you get yourself out of the business and then all those other things are tools and maps and frameworks that, that will enable you to help you get out by empowering others to know how to manage your business. And then you've built a transferable asset yep. because then it's all documented. Like, here you go. Here's this thing I've built and I'm not involved in it, but it's this is it. You know, all of that documentation, that engine in in several different departments, all of those engines, you need to have that and show that when you're going to sell a business anyway, right? It's going to be part of your data room. So if you're building it from scratch later, you're just going to be kicking yourself. You could get such a benefit from having all of those pieces in place very early on. Uh, But it brings up the question, at what point? Like, you know, on day one of a business, it is about, I need a customer, I need to deliver, I need to impress that customer, I need to drive revenue. At what stage do you feel like, okay, now is the point that I need to think about stepping back and having my my role replaceable because systems are in place to, to enable that? I would think it's a general thing of always thinking about how can you as the owner, further step out of the business while continually seeing an increase in revenue and profitability. Yep, yep. Because you as an owner always want to be focusing on more and more valuable activities. And so I would say that would be the guiding principle. You know, how can you as the owner focus on more and more and more valuable activities and part of that's getting you out of the details of the business. Yeah, I, I, I hope for, for our listeners who have listened to multiple podcasts, this has come up many times. Even uh, Christine Nicholson talks about this idea that you should be thinking about you're a $10,000 an hour person. And if you are not doing 10,000 hour work, somebody else can do it and you replace that. And over a period of time, you become very, you, you become replaceable and therefore your business is very transferable to somebody else. Yeah. It, you know, it's a common theme. It needs to be hit over and over and over. Chris, this is awesome. And it's uh, hard. Yeah, it's, it's really so hard. hard. Yep. So that's why it's, it's why you get help. And it's why the statistics are the way they are. That's right. Right. That's and, right. And so, um, yeah, your, your service, your frameworks, your, we talk a lot about translating emotion to finance and finance to emotion in, in mm. the kind of context of M&A. But I think you are really creating, hey, where do you stand today and what are the what are the things that you need to do to improve the value of your business and make it transferable, make it sellable? And yeah. so not only revealing all those things, but helping them, having the ability to help them through that process, it's just invaluable. So I really encourage people, whether it's working with you or somebody like this, it's, it's paramount to being successful at the end there. Thank you so much for this time. Yeah, is there any, anything else that you would want to share? I mean, you've given us gold, so. Yeah, well, I would say take care of you in the process. Honor yourself, your mental space, your emotional space. The more healthy of an individual that you become, the more healthy of a company 
and environment and all the people that your business is impacting that that actually is. And so when you think about transferring asset, let's not transfer a toxic asset. Even though it could be financially well, it still could be a financially well toxic asset. Mm -hmm. So let's focus on, you know, that that impact on a personal level makes a big difference in more ways than you can imagine. And so I'd say that is also a really key element. That feels like uh, podcast number two with you. So <laughs> that is a <laughs> no, big subject. But thank I got you. a lot there too. <laughs> thank, yeah. you for, thank you for sharing, Chris. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks again for listening to the Cashing Out Podcast. For more founder exit stories, please subscribe to the Cashing Out Podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please remember, ExitWise.com and the Cashing Out Podcast are for entertainment purposes only. This should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions.